This report is specifically for you if you are sitting there on the couch dreaming trouser TP inducing dreams of your upcoming incursion to Dingo Piss Creek in a battery electric ute. If this is you, I'd suggest it's high time you stopped molesting the vegetables and concentrate instead on the facts which are about to knock on yo door. The pointer du jour, appropriately enough, today is the 46mm King Dick flogging spanner. And I must say it feels very nice in the hand. Very nice indeed. So I want to talk to you about this fantasy that a lot of people have. They communicate with me incessantly about battery technology and electric vehicles and electric utes. And we can't wait until there's an electric ute. And I'd suggest, dude, you're going to have to. And just to point out exactly why this is such an enduring problem for the industry. And I know there's been lots of reports over several months from the United States about things like the F-150 Lightning and the new Hummer and all of that stuff. Doesn't the future look bright for electric vehicles? I'd suggest not so much because the heavier they get, the worse. And I want to lay out the physics of that for you here in the engineering ghetto so that at least you'll be able to base future fantasies on facts as opposed to just complete divorce from reality. And in order to get cracking on this, we need a benchmark. And you know, in the physics engineering sort of mathematics area, there are all kinds of benchmarks. There are things called specific heat, which is a property of most materials, water being the most commonly used one in engineering, I guess, because it's so good, as a cooling medium, like a heat transport medium. The specific heat of water is 4.18 kilojoules per kilo per degree C. You can confirm that with Google if you like. Um, Brake-specific fuel consumption is another good one, right? It's the number of grams of fuel that have to be consumed to produce one kilowatt in an engine, for example. So it's a way of controlling for the mass of fuel consumed to produce a kilowatt, right? It's just one of those benchmarks that the propeller heads use. There's also a thing called brake mean effective pressure, which you can bastardize, if you like, by dividing the power of an engine by its volume and the number of RPM at which that power occurs. And that gives you a bastardized form of this pressure that is useful to calculate when you're comparing different kinds of engines. So we need a benchmark like that, and I am gonna make it digestible, don't you worry. I'm gonna call it the range-specific EV battery capacity. What a mouthful. And it's not an acronym, right? Because you can't say that. It's an initialism, okay? What you do is you get the kilowatt hours of the battery, which is the amount of energy that the battery stores, and then you divide it by the tear weight in tons of the vehicle, and then you divide it by the number of 100 kilometres of range. So if you've got 482 k's of range, officially, with an EV, you divide by 4.82. And if your EV weighs 2.1 tonnes, you divide by 2.1 here. And, you know, you look up the kilowatt hours in the specifications and then you just do this maths and you get a really interesting thing just falls out on your lap and you go 
mm, Jesus, maybe physics has got something to say about this. All right? It's about nine. It's like eight and a half, nine, nine and a half. Sometimes it's ten, okay? And there is some variability because not all quoted ranges are the same. There's a few different standards there. There's the WLTP one, and then, of course, there's the real world one, which varies depending on you. But there's also the EPA one, and they vary quite a bit, okay, which might account for some of the variability if you are moved to go out and confirm some of these computations down the track. There's also the kilowatt hours of the battery, which sometimes are the usable kilowatt hours and sometimes the total kilowatt hours. And obviously in a battery, there's some energy that's not exploitable. Right? So there's two different ways of quoting the kilowatt hours. For example, a new F-150 Lightning, if memory serves, it's 98 kilowatt hours for the base model. And I think that's the usable one. The, therefore, the absolute you know, total amount of energy in that battery is probably more like 110. Okay, that's just how this works. But when you crunch all of these numbers with a view to trying to standardize the quoted range and the kilowatt hours, a really interesting thing falls out. It's all about nine. It's eight and a half or nine or nine and a bit. Sometimes it's 10, right? And you've got to say, why is that? And it's because of physics, right? It's because there's an amount of energy there, moving an amount of mass of the vehicle. And once you standardize the mass of the vehicle and the range, then it's kind of the same amount of energy to move one ton, 100 kilometers, right? That's why you need to do this to come up with this benchmark so that you can say to yourself, what if, what if we went off and built an electric ute? So what I'm going to do for the rest of this, okay, is I'm going to use 10 for that RSCVBC thing, okay? And I looked at Ionic 5 slash EV6, not because I'm a South Korean fanboy, as is often alleged, but because Ionic 5 and EV6 are ute size. They're Australian ute size, that's for sure. They're three meter wheelbase is roughly equivalent to most utes. For example, Hilux is 85 millimeters longer in the wheelbase than Ionic 5. The tear weight is about 2.1 tons, which is comparable to a ute, although the GVM's a bit lower and the payload is quite low, 440 kilos in the case of Ionic 5 EV6. So they're the same sort of overall size as the ute you are used to fantasizing about, the internal combustion one, but the payload is slightly undercooked, well, significantly undercooked, about 50% undercooked. And the range unladen is sort of okay. It's like more than 450 Ks, according to the WLTP one. So there's our base. Let's look at converting that into a ute. So eons ago, when dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was still an engineer, the thing you've got to do, we were taught, when you design anything, if you want to make a battery electric ute, you have to... or a better mousetrap, dude, or a, a better egg flip. It doesn't matter. What you've got to do is come up with this thing called a functional specification. What has it got to do? What are we trying to achieve? And I'd suggest that it would be rational in the Australian market to have three and a half ton tow capacity, to have, let's be realistic because batteries are heavy, it's going to have to weigh about three tons empty. And we need it to have about a thousand kilos of payload. Therefore, three and a half plus three is about six and a half tons 
of gross combination mass for towing, which that's reasonable, and you'd want it to have at least 400 kilometres of range. It's got to go at least that far, otherwise not worth doing, because Australia's a big place and the the road to Dingo Piss Creek is long and arduous, okay? And if you can't go for four hours between recharges at 100 k's an hour, you're really not in the game, are you? I'd further suggest that all of these discussions about range, okay, with EVs, they don't really take into account some really significant factors, particularly if you plan on towing your big fat three and a half ton aluminium chitois all the way to the creek, right? Such as rolling resistance of the tires, because you're going to be adding at least four more tires down there, and you're going to put a big box on the back. It's going to stick out like this, and there's going to be a significant additional amount of aerodynamic drag. And these things are not taken into account at all in any of the quoted range type figures that you see with you know, EVs just all over the shop, quoted with range, none of that stuff, additional rolling resistance from towing, aerodynamic drag influences at highway speeds. Like, dude, every time I've been in a battery electric vehicle and I'm tooling around the burbs and you see 250 k's of range remaining, as soon as you get out onto the freeway and you crank it up to 100 and you start cruising at 100, the range is like, the trip computer's like... Like this, it's going 200, 150 if you're friggin' lucky. And that's because EVs are just not as efficient at highway speeds where there's less regenerative braking and more aerodynamic drag. They're much more efficient around town, and that's the exact opposite of your internal combustion car that you grew up with. They're called facts. You don't have to like them. Okay, now, if we pump all of this into our earlier... RSEVBC initialism, okay, you get the battery required, right? Because 10 times 6.5 times 4, right? That's essentially what we need to achieve here, okay? It's kilowatt hours per, per tonne per 100 kilometres of range. There's the 100 kilometres of range. There's the number of tonnes that we need to drag all over the place, okay? And it comes down to our magic number of 10 times 6.5 times 4 is 260 kilowatt hours of onboard storage. And FFS, dude, that's a hell of a big battery. That's huge, okay? The EV6 Ionic 5 with the big battery is like 77 kilowatt hours. So we're we're on the cusp of four times more battery than that. Three point something, 3.6, 3.7. I haven't worked it out. It's a frigging big battery, and that's a problem. I just want to make one point so that we're completely crystal clear on this, okay? Mass is a huge deal, and it doesn't matter if it's a caravan that you're dragging or if it's sitting between the four wheels as part of the vehicle itself, okay? If you're going up a hill, the amount of mass is directly proportional to the amount of energy required to get from the bottom of the hill to the friggin' top, okay? That's basic physics. So what I did was, I went out and I had a look for the closest EV to the ghetto-engineered ute that we're trying to come up with here, all right? 
And it's without doubt the new GMC Hummer EV. This thing is friggin' huge. It weighs 4.12 tonnes dead empty. And 1,328 kilos of that is the battery. And you can see here, like if you go and have a look at Ionic 5 or EV6 or something, the battery is like 450 kilos, okay? That's about a quarter of the mass of the vehicle. When you step up to the Hummer, it's about a third, okay? And what that tells you is that the battery is not only the most expensive part of an EV, but it's also the heaviest part. And obviously, the bigger you make an EV, the bigger the battery required to carry the energy required to move it. But the problem with putting a bigger battery in an EV is that some of that energy in the big battery has to be expended just moving the battery around, right? So that is kind of a law of diminishing returns that you can see in play here because the mass of this battery is one third of the mass of the vehicle, more or less, whereas with smaller EVs, it's more like a quarter. The bigger you make an EV, the bigger the proportional mass of the battery, okay? That's just physics, how this rolls. The other point to be made about this is 1,328 kilos, like Jesus. That's about as much as a Kia Cerato or a Corolla i30, Honda Civic. The battery weighs as much as a small friggin' car. It's not exactly an advertisement for efficiency in terms of energy, right? Or for the responsible usage of the Earth's limited resources, right? This is just excess. It's got nothing, therefore, to do with saving the planet and everything to do with statement value, right? Now, this thing will drive 560 Ks on a full tank of electrons, and it's got this massive battery, which is not unlike the battery that we just proposed, it's 210 as, a pro, as opposed to the 260 that we just proposed. So let's just recap how this compares with the ute that we're going to have to build, right? It's less than the six and a half tons we're going to have to drag around when you've got your chitois connected to the back. The battery's slightly smaller, but the range is a bit greater than the 400 that we need. So it's interesting to see how our RS EVBC cranks out there. It's 9.1 kilowatt hours per ton per 100 kilos, which is not dissimilar to the 10 that we're using. So here is a vehicle that embodies the RSEVBC ballpark that we're using to lay this out, yeah? And that tells me that we're going to have to ghetto re-engineer the Ionic 5 just ever so slightly, right? Let's just recap where the mass plays out in an Ionic 5, okay? It's 2.1 tonnes empty, that's the tear mass. 450 kilos of that is the battery, and therefore everything else is 1.65 tonnes. So here's what we've got to do to get our Ionic 5 EV6 ute towing our 3.5 tonne chitois to Dingo Piss Creek. We're going to have to take our 1,650 kilo everything else and enhance it in some ways, right? We're going to have to increase the brakes because the mass is going up. We're going to have to increase the tyres. We're going to have to improve the structural integrity. And we're going to have to just bas basically pump it up. And I'd suggest it's going to be difficult to do that with less than a budget of about half a tonne of additional this and that. And then we're going to have to add a new battery that is more than three times bigger 
than the one that's already in it. So it's going to be a ton and a half, right? And that compares with the battery in the Hummer. 1.3 for the battery in the Hummer. We're a bit bigger. It's going to be 1.5. You're going to need a massive cooling system for a battery that big because you need to protect it on discharge and obviously when you're recharging it, if you can find a 350 kilowatt recharger somewhere. So our Ionic 5 EV6 Ute prototype is going to weigh like 3.65 tonnes, which is a little bit more than the three tonnes that we propose. If we optimise that design using, you know, high-tech shit like uh, CAD, cardboard-aided design and things like that, the, the technology available to me here, for example, then we can probably slash that to three and a half tonnes and then something's got to give. So let's pull half a tonne out of the maximum tow capacity and bring that down to three tons as opposed to three and a half. And then we get to a GVM of six and a half tons, which is what we originally proposed. So two thumbs up, like well done us for ghetto engineering a ute on one friggin' sheet of paper. That's, that's outstanding, dude. You t take a small round of applause and I'll get to the next slide. Now, if you're done sort of riffing air guitar with no pants on, one of the bonuses of doing this should we actually go out and enact it in the real world, is that if you're not towing anything, the range is going to be friggin' outstanding. It's going to be like 740 k's. So we, you will have built the longest range EV in the country by a substantial margin. Practical EV, road registrable EV, whatever, okay? But there are some problems with this kind of thing, aren't there? And one of them is going to be the size of the friggin' battery, you know, like, how is it going to fit? Because packaging is a really exact science in the automotive industry. And although the Ionic 5 EV6 platform is the same size as a ute, every square inch of it is, cubic inch, is kind of used, right? So where is a battery that's three and a half times bigger than the battery that's already in there? Where is it going to fit exactly? I suppose we are going to have to pump it up and give it some more ground clearance and we might be able to do that to some degree, but I'd suggest that it's just not going to fit into the sized ute that you are fantasizing about when you think ultimate Hilux, ultimate Ranger, whatever. It's just, it's not going to fit. And then there's the mass, like a ton and a half, Jesus, as discussed weighs about the same as a Honda Civic. It's a tremendous impost on natural resources. It's not socially responsible to build an EV like this. This is what nobody's saying, for example, about the new Hummer, only in many ways this is worse, okay? The unladen mass. This is kind of important too, because the internal combustion ute that many people think is planet-destroying excessive, it weighs about two tons empty, okay? This thing, empty, is going to weigh three and a half. And any way you cut this up, that's a disaster because it means excessive tyre wear. There's an impact, literally an impact, on the roads. The roads aren't meant... They're not designed, like normal suburban roads are not designed for incessant hammering upon them of three-ton vehicles. They're just not, okay? So we're talking about hammering endless three-and-a-half-ton vehicles on them. And 
the dust from things like tyres and brakes are just as bad for you as emissions from the exhaust, okay? So we're not exactly getting away from those kinds of emissions by building big fuck-off heavy EVs just so we can tow our chitoires to the outback, okay? And then there is how long is it going to take you to charge it? Now, if you can find a 350 kilowatt charger on the road to Dingo Piss Creek, good luck, dude. Tell me where that is, won't you? Even if... That's not going to take too long. 350 kilowatts, 260 kilowatt hours, you know, you have a burger and it'll be done, right? The fact is, though, even much closer to our capital cities, most DC fast chargers are first generation 50 kilowatt chargers. And if you come into, I don't know, Timber Creek on the boundary of bloody Western Australia and the Northern Territory on the way to the Gibb River Road, if you come into Timber Creek, sucking on a dry tank of electrons and you've got 260 kilowatt hours of electron potential to pump back into that battery and all you can find is a 50 kilowatt hour charger, it's going to take you more than five hours to recharge, dude. And I've read the shortest book on earth, Things to See and Do in Timber Creek. It's going to get old. That's every four hours, right? Maybe less because of rolling resistance and aerodynamic drag. Like, go to Google and type in car and driver EV tow test. Have a read of that because they got these big heavy EV utes, right? And they loaded them up and they towed them across America at 70 miles an hour, which is not unlike our freeway limits. It's, I think 70 miles an hour is 112 k's an hour, if memory serves. Anyway, range goes like this, unsurprisingly, because of all the extra mass. And they're all going, oh, this is terrible. This is outrageous, right? Physics, like Isaac Newton spinning in his grave. Anywho, it's going to take a long time to recharge. And then there's infrastructure. How long do you reckon it's going to take to roll out 350 kilowatt charging stations every three or 400 k's across the outback. I reckon it's going to take quite some time. And the biggest challenge in many of these whistle-stop shitholes, frankly, is going to be where is 350 kilowatts actually going to come from? And I'll tell you where. It's going to come from diesel generators, right? And therefore, because the second law of thermodynamics exists, is it not just somewhat hypocritical to to be virtue signalling in your EV out there on the road to the creek if you're actually getting the energy from a diesel generator, right? It's an affront to the second law of thermodynamics. Anyway, and then there is the fact that this vehicle is going to cost, I don't see any way of selling our ghetto-engineered ute, battery electric ute, capable of towing three tonnes to Dingo Piss Creek, we can't sell it profitably for less than about $200,000, okay? So that's objectively worse, seeing as you could buy three friggin' pretty well-equipped Hiluxes for that price. Certainly you could get three SR5s. Certainly you could get, well, you could get nearly four uh, Triton GSRs, couldn't you? Anyway, 
and the objective performance is still going to be worse than internal combustion because you're going to go a lot further than 400 k's on a single tank of diesel with a three-ton ute behind. And this thing is going to be, this thing that we designed, it's going to be limited to three tons of towing, whereas hypothetically you could tow three and a half tons with other utes. Even though that's a bad idea, I've been through that before, I'm not going through it again now. But I just want you to get it basically ballparked in your head why it's so difficult to build an internal combustion ute. And one of the reasons for doing this is because, you know, Canberra's territory government has basically said they're going to ban the sale of internal combustion cars, vehicles, from 2030. And I suggest that over the next years to whatever, months or years, some other states are going to follow, right? They're going to just make these bold declarations about what they're going to do in eight years or something. And they haven't figured out that four of the top 10 selling vehicles in the friggin' country are utes. And that means some people need them and some people just want them, right? And at the moment, it is not possible to build a battery ute that does what an, what an internal combustion ute actually does. And it's not going to be possible unless there is a miraculous, significant change to battery technology. And there is no such change in the wings. There's a lot of reports you can read about scientific investigations into this and that, but there's nothing that's approaching production readiness. And until we can slash the mass of batteries, like slash, it's not going to be possible to have a ute that performs roughly like a diesel ute today. It's just not. And therefore, and it pains me to say this, it really guts me, but there is actually a kernel of truth in ScoMo's famous quote about EVs ending the weekend, because it's not possible to build an EV to do the kinds of things that ute and four-wheel drive enthusiasts enjoy. And it's certainly not possible to get anything like reasonable performance at anything like the same kind of cost. And even if you throw the checkbook out the window, dude, it's still not possible. 